Welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. Thanks so much for listening and making a commitment to learning. I hope everybody is doing well. We are your hosts. I am Jordan Porter, joined by the wonderful Yvonne Brandenburg. (laughs) I feel all defeated now. (laughs) You guys have no idea. This is take two because the first take was so ridiculous. We may do a blooper of it, but but we just said start over because we realized that, yes, we might be smart in certain areas, but not all. definitely not all oh oh my god all right we're gonna have to we're gonna have to do something with that recording because people are probably like they're they've lost their minds it's fine they might be right (laughs) 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 so this Um, episode goes live on july 4th which is independence day in the united states um so happy independence day if um you know you guys celebrate it, which, you know, you got to watch the movie about aliens. That is a good movie. Oh, that's a that's good a movie. I should make movie. the kids watch that. They were asking me if we could light fireworks off. And I was like, you know, we have quite a bit of animals now. We probably shouldn't and stuff like I don't want to startle anybody. And Bailey was like, no, I just meant sparklers. I was like, well, then there's a very big difference in your phrase of fireworks and other people's yeah. phrases of fireworks. Yeah. Which is funny because now we're in Oregon and fireworks are legal, which they're not, they were not legal where I was. So we did buy a couple and we bought sparklers, but I told, I told Kevin, I was like, anything we get has to be like no noise or very minimal noise because first of all, our cats would freak out. They hate. Well, you guys have enough land though, that you could probably go far enough away from your house. Uh, except if we go far enough away from our house, we're in the middle of the forest. So I really don't feel like being liable for setting Oregon on fire this year. No, but like I'm saying <laughs> next year when like Kevin maybe has like created some clearings or like, I don't know if we'd have enough clearing space for it. Like, like we're in the forest, Jordan. Like, (laughs) what are we going to do? Make a spot for just like fireworks? No, it's cool. I can go somewhere else and not buy my house for that. (laughs) Yeah. I'm at the age where like, I don't really like, eh. no. I mean, I like like sparklers. I think those are cool, but like, that's it. And it's, I like sparklers and some of the smoke bombs and stuff. I I do like the little things, poppets. I love those things. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So if you're celebrating, please be careful. (laughs) Don't set yourself on fire. Don't, you know, blow things up. Um, Please be respectful of all the animals because, oh, God, I hate. That was something, and it was funny because I was kind of talking to my husband about it. I was like, you know, 4th of July is hard because so many dogs get hit by car because I know. they freak out, they get out of the yard, they get lost, they get hit by car. And I was like, yeah, no, 4th of July is a horrible holiday. Cause he's like, oh, why don't hospitals close? And I was like, well, we can't. <laughs> we can't. <laughs> um, yeah. So I was just like, ugh, 4th of July. I have a love hate relationship with it. I also like, hate it because my neighbors used to be horrible. Like fireworks were legal in the town that I lived in, but it was like 
for weeks before and after fourth of july um new year's it would be constantly like setting off like big yeah. fireworks like m80s and stuff like that and I was yeah like, i'm so happy because like where i live i live on a street with seven houses and everybody's <laughs> old around me and so like yeah. <laughs> nobody like i will say the neighborhood next door probably will light some stuff off but at our old neighborhood yeah we'd have families like lighting crap off of it like 2 a.m 4 a.m yeah. and i'm like it's a tuesday people right i know and i felt bad because like we did have like um i don't even know what they're called because i'm not a fireworks person but like the blooming flower things that spin mm-hmm. so I, when they're done they do kind of do a little bit of like pop-off stuff like little sparkle mm-hmm. things and I was like oh that's kind of loud especially because there's no noise around us so then I was like oh my god my neighbors are gonna think we're horrible because they're right across the street from us and I was like and you can kind of hear everything because there's nothing around us and I was like it's 11 o'clock at night we should be quiet <laughs> and I was like well they're, hopefully they understand this is a one-off thing and they probably don't because we haven't said hi yet because we're horrible neighbors you also only lit like one of those like whizzing things and not like a true firework I was like I think you're all right (laughs) I know but I didn't want them to think that we were gonna like do m80s or something you know what I mean because they don't think you can get m80s anymore and like you're not supposed to be able to but I swear to god people in my old neighborhood did (laughs) probably I don't like roman candles even aren't even like they're not that loud like that's true you're fine. Trust me. Your neighbors won't even think twice. They probably <sighs> couldn't hear it through their windows and their doors. I hope not. <laughs> I highly doubt they could. You're fine. Uh, <laughs> bring your anxiety down. <laughs> uh, I can't. I know. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, 4th of July. Happy 4th of July. Well, happy Independence Day. Otherwise, it's just the standard July 4th. Right. <laughs> But July 4th is like my, it's like my reminder that like other things are coming up. So like when July 4th hits, yeah. I was telling my mom about this this morning. I was like, I've done a horrible job at like celebrating anything this year. Like, um, oh, no, I'm sorry. Our, our, it's just cause like, I don't, I don't, there's something it's about this busy. year that's just like, yeah, nothing is really hitting. So it's like our anniversary happened and both my husband and I forgot, like we, we remembered it oh, was no. there, but then like we when we had like when we had planned things so what happened was like my anniversary ended up being on like a Tuesday right and um Matt was planning to go to the gun range with his friend or whatever and like it was just like the next day off that he had which is was a Tuesday and it wasn't until Monday that we were like oh our anniversary is tomorrow and Matt was like oh no I'm going up to the gun range tomorrow with my buddy like I can cancel or whatever and I was like no dude I was like just go I was like, because we both forgot that, like, what Tuesday right. actually was, and then we we were like, we'll circle back to it and we'll celebrate it, right? Like, <laughs> and we kind of did the same thing with Mother's Day because that was around the same time then too. And Father's Day, I don't even think my kids were home, and <laughs> like, yeah, I don't think they were. And so I'm just like, and now I, like, I just now remembered Father's Day. Don't tattle on me, but like, holy crap, I didn't tell my husband happy Father's Day. And, um, I don't know, like nothing, nothing's hitting this year. So like 4th of July is my reminder that I'm like, oh crap, Bailey's birthday is in two weeks. 
and then yeah. Connor's birthday is in a month and so like I just gotta get it and together. your birthday is there too and oh yeah my birthday yep and your birthday yep yeah all the birthdays in the summer Ugh. so anyway I gotta get okay. it together and, and I don't know I mm, I'm just not I feel like birthdays are a little year. bit yeah I was gonna say I feel like birthdays are a little different though than like the other holidays I don't know that's just i don't know even my kids though like this year they're like for my birthday we don't really want to do anything we just kind of want to like maybe invite one or two friends over and like that's it and i was like cool like they're making it super easy too and like chill but i'm just like i think that's part of the reason why i'm just like not jumping on it as in (laughs) right (laughs) making a big deal out of it and i also what like i turn i think i turn 34 so i'm like it's not even a big one hmm that must be nice. 34. I don't know. The 30s have sucked so far. I'm ready to be done. <laughs> like, give me 40. Well, I mean, I think we <laughs> like, had this weird, like, pandemic-y thing that made the years kind of crappy. So I don't think that was necessarily, like, you. I think it was the universe. <laughs> well, the universe has got to get it together if they want me I to know. enjoy my 30s. Because, like, so far, <laughs> it's just not happening. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> like, <laughs> It's just, you know, other people can really, I guarantee. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So how's your, um, how's your week? Uh, you what, two weeks full time now? Two weeks full time. I feel like I, like, I, I'm getting a good routine. Like, I'm, I'm remembering to do things that, like, I don't. Nice. That, like, just slipped under the radar before. <laughs> so, right. Oh, my gosh. I know. It's so funny. Consistent. I've been, like, I've been, like going okay well I'm gonna give this to Jordan which feels very weird yeah <laughs> like I don't have to do this Jordan can do it <laughs> I know it's odd I like it though but it's still like now I'm coming to the part where it's like now I can do the fun stuff now I can sit here yeah. and create things and then be like what do you think instead of yeah. doing all those like monotonous things so the stuff that we you know had to get caught up with and get back to like a normal place yeah that stuff yeah like getting our podcast episodes race proved yeah that's on the list for this week gotta get that all figured out sorry guys we're um (laughs) we're making that a priority it 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 was like a whole thing a lot of the race approving standards were changing while we were trying to do them (laughs) so we let that i know and they just by the way it just changed as of june uh july 1st yep so if if you go to NECE, just know that there may be different requirements for you because um, AAVSB, who does the race require, uh, requirements, they're being more specific about um, how attendance is being like uh, tracked and uploaded to them. Um, so, which I think is a good thing, but at the same time, it is making it so things have to change a little bit as far as like information that CE providers need to get from you because that is a requirement from them, um, which you'll see a little bit of changes with how we're tracking CE. Um, But I'm hoping for us, it'll make it a lot easier to get your certificate and just all sorts of stuff. Cause we're, we're talking about how to make it a little more automated because doing it by hand is, is getting a little bit crazy. So yeah, 
Um, but just know when you guys are doing CE at conferences and stuff like that, like it's, it, there are some changes on the horizon. So, you know, roll with the punches for your race approved CE. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so just know that we are working on getting the rest of these podcast episodes race approved, as well as we still have our monthly CE that is always race approved this month, uh, the month of July on Saturday, July 22nd, 2023. At 11.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time or 2.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we are going to be talking about normal cat vomiting. There's no such thing. And that is um, race approved. You can join the newsletter to get an invite at internalmedicineforvettex.com or go to internalmedicineforvettex.com slash events and you can find it all there as well. Yep. And I'm going to try to be posting those on our Facebook page and stuff like that as well. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So this week we're still talking nutrition. Uh, I was wrong last week when I said we might be discussing nutrition and GI. We are discussing nutrition and diabetes this week. GI is next week. Ah, okay. Okay. I know. Diabetes first, then GI. GI (laughs) though, I'm telling you, I think like we're going to, like, we might be able to do like a little bonus episode on just probiotics. (laughs) Oh yeah, probably. So anyway, Um, so we're going to be talking about nutritional management of diabetes mellitus. And so type one diabetes mellitus typically occurs in dogs only, and that results from destruction of the insulin secreting beta cells that are in the pancreas within the endocrine side of things. Um, and that's usually a result of either immune mediated mechanisms or pancreatitis. So just the inflammation is destroying those beta cells. Type 2 diabetes mellitus is more prevalent in cats, and that is more formed from insulin resistance. So the receptors on the target cells just become less responsive to the insulin within the body, and that just requires increased insulin synthesis and secretion um, to maintain normal, happy blood glucose levels within the blood. And uh, so nutrition is going to, you would think it varies a little bit but based on these, but and it, it does, right? Like we talk about this in internal medicine, like cats are not beings that you can schedule feedings as easily as you can dogs, right? So right. yeah, cats, it's much, They're cats, we kind of had to adapt. grazers. Yeah. And so we had to, as much as it, like, was it driven into your brain when you were in tech school that like you had to feed twice a day for diabetes to maintain diabetes? Yes. Yes. Like, I feel like it's a, it's a newer thing that we can get away with cats grazing throughout the day. Dogs, we should still try to schedule those like feedings of every 12 hours because their diabetes is different than cats. So cats can get away with grazing. Yeah. I think the problem with, well, so I think the, the thought process on the eating rate is, um, because every time a a pet eats, there is a spike in in glucose levels. And if we Mm -hmm. don't have the insulin to deal with it, you have those spikes and, and it can cause problems. So I think that's part of the reason why we always said twice a day feeding, because we want those spikes to be right as we're giving the insulin. Mm -hmm. Um, with cats though, I mean, I, I want to do like a whole episode potentially on the new oral 
Oh, I was thinking about that actually. And I was thinking because that is really interesting. And I've, I've gone to a couple of CEs already about it and stuff like that. And I think it's such a new idea. And anyways, I've got, I got some thoughts on this. Um, but the idea is because cats are type two, that's where they can use like oral, um, diabetes medications kind of like with people because most people are type 2 diabetics and not type mm-hmm. 1 type 1 is insulin dependent type 2 is not and so well and I think it, there's it, a difference too yeah. like if, if we could show a graph like type 1 yeah. diabetes with dogs it goes up and down right like their blood sugar is going to go up and down throughout the mm-hmm. day versus type 2 tends to have more of a steady the goal is a steady baseline and the goal is the same for type one, but type two in particular also has a similar, it's just that steady baseline originally is higher. And so we want to bring it down to a more normal level, Yeah, but it's just, it's interesting. I think when you think about it. And so from a nutrition standpoint though, what the goal is, is to really minimize those fluctuation in glucose levels is so while we know that we can expect to see a spike in glucose levels right after eating, we want to minimize how high that spike goes. Yep. And so like, when, like don't feed sugar to a diabetic. That's, <laughs> that's one of those big things. Like, eh, no big deal. It's fine. It's fine. Yep. So the main, like there, there's going to be essential features when feeding a diabetic, right? And that's going to consistency is number one. So consistency in the diet needs to remain the same day-to-day type, volume, timing, just to prevent any alterations in those glucose levels in the insulin requirement. And that goes the same for cats. Even though we're not scheduling a feeding, if the cat is allowed to graze all day, mind you, if cat can get away with scheduling, do it. If they are grazing through the day, we want to make sure that the food remains consistent. The amount of food put out each day that they're going to graze on is the same. So they're not going to eat more. Well, I mean, they could eat more or less one day, but they can't eat expense, like an exceptional amount more um, just because you're refilling the bowl because, oh, well, they seem hungrier today, right? Like we're, we're trying to remain consistent. Um, I just have this image of multiple cat households and I'm like, there's no way I'd be able to figure out who's eating how much. And if there's a fluctuation, no way. We've already they all, <laughs> now, and I'm like, this would be horrible. I just hope none of my cats ever become diabetic. I'd be in trouble. Yeah, because either like you feed everybody a diabetic diet, right, or mm-hmm. you keep the one cat completely separate, or you train all of the cats <sighs> to eat at a specific time of day, <laughs> or I use the microchip bowls. It's the other option. We've yeah. talked about that. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's a good idea. Anyway, yeah. so diabetic diets are going to be high in complex carbs, and that's just to help that to help glucose re- release in like a steady stream from the gut, and not so the spikes. Yeah, yeah, not spike that. Um, and so our glucose absorption occurs in the gut, but it's it's all we also want to make sure that that is timed at the same time as insulin is administered, right? So um, I don't agree with this because it's weird and it seems like it's too complicated for pet parents to get on board with, I think. So if you're doing twice a day insulin, it's it's half twice a day. 
But if they're doing once a day insulin, they're recommending two thirds of your daily amount be fed right before the insulin. And then the other third about 12 hours later. Oh, without insulin. Without the insulin. Given. Yep. I gotcha. Which I skipped ahead and read the yeah, I was like, you, you mixed those sentences together. I know. I was like, <laughs> what did I do? Um, um, and, and it's way, it's weird because I don't think I've ever, like my doctor never recommended doing two thirds, but honestly, we didn't do insulin once a day very often. So that could be I think that's it. in those special cases where like a client, it's not enough. like <laughs> you have, like, if you give like this much, it's too much, you know, like you're like, I gotta do like half a unit once a day because twice a day is too much. You know, those patients, the ones yeah. who drive you insane. It's usually like a Maltese or something, <laughs> right? You're like, oh, great. Where like awesome. their dose is like half, a, twice a day, but then you're like, all right, well, half in the morning and then a quarter of a unit at night. And we're like, right. how do you, oh yeah, I don't miss those. Uh-uh. Anyway, so the goal is though to still feed 12 hours apart, whether or not insulin's being given once a day versus twice a day. Um, and then, of course, too, to make sure that we're feeding the proper amount, like the proper volume for their optimal weight. And we want fat restriction as well. So the first thing, the first goal is really going to be making sure that we're providing adequate calories, right? We talked about this already in the basics episode where we want to calculate RER, but RER is resting energy requirement. That does not take into account the dog getting up and moving and going out potty or playing with the ball for a little bit, or, uh, the cat even being slightly active and jumping up on top of the cabinets and <laughs> or weight like loss, because then you would do a little bit less than RER weight loss for sure. Usually in these guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and so we, we really want to make sure that we're providing the adequate calories and maintaining healthy body weight. So as Yvonne said, if they do need to lose weight, um, we need to account for that when, when suggesting a diabetic diet, we right. need to calculate that for weight loss and proper body. Well, condition and this well. is that, that it's like the same with people, right? Like they have two options. You can feed the same amount and increase activity or same amount of activity and decrease the amount of calories coming in. Like those are the options for clients and for cats, it's almost impossible to increase activity. I mean, you can by playing with them more with toys. Um, but for dogs, this is like taking them on more frequent walks. So it's just, it's, it's whichever the client feels more comfortable doing, but something needs to change. Yeah. <laughs> And then the other goal too, and this is what I've always heard when it came to managing diabetes, the main goal of diabetes is to just reduce or eliminate clinical signs, right? Mm. And we want to stop or we want to avoid complications of the disease. So we also want to avoid things like comorbidities and things. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to diet, a lot of things that we're going to focus on for dogs first. So I did separate these in dogs and cats just because they are slightly different just because of their feeding schedules. So well, dogs, and dogs are, are omnivores, cats are obligate carnivores. So they yeah. do have different needs. <laughs> so for fiber, 
There's a lot of studies out there for dogs that show that high fiber diets compared to low fiber diets actually improve glycemic control within the bloodstream. Um, but there hasn't been any benefits to show whether a high fiber diet versus a moderate fiber diet has, is, there's been no studies to show that there's a, a significant difference in the um, blood glucose levels with that compared oh. to that of a low fiber diet. So more fiber is better in these guys, um, just in the response of being able to maintain a nice, happy glycemic area. Um, <laughs> I love that it says too, that like, some show an improvement, some don't. <laughs> like, yeah. I was going to say, mm, I love nutrition, but at the same time, sometimes it can be frustrating because unfortunately everybody's like, GI biome and uptake and how we respond to things is going to be a little bit different. Um, so some foods work great for some patients and some, it just bothers don't. me because it's like when some don't see, like when they don't see an outward visual yeah. difference, then they assume like, oh, that it's not working. not working. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, that's not the case. Just because your dog doesn't have a drastic response to the food doesn't mean that like, like the food's still working. <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. just, I don't, that just bothers me. Don't even. Um, <laughs> anyway, so carbs are a big part of the glycemic response within a body, right? So a lot of times they see that a rice-based diet actually can result in higher glucose levels or glucose and insulin responses um, versus other types of carbohydrates or a carb-based diet. So they are, it seems like they're playing around with the different types of starches to get that nice carb level. But rice in particular seems to show that higher glucose level after, um, or higher glucose and insulin responses. So a lot of our diabetic diets are actually going to be a very rice-based diet, which makes Mm -hmm. sense. Like, I feel like rice is just like a safer. Yeah. And I think about like, even in human nutrition, they talk about rice versus like bread and potatoes, (laughs) (laughs) the carbs that we all like to eat. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So like, although rice does have a higher glucose like response, right. The insulin response is also higher. So it's like, it just combats a little bit better. Um, Fat is where we definitely need to make sure that we're we're paying attention in our fatty departments, especially because our diabetic dogs tend to be a little bit heavier mm-hmm. anyway, but they can also develop diabetes secondary to pancreatitis, right? So, yep. um, and then diabetes also is a risk for developing pancreatitis. So if they develop yeah. diabetes, then they, it's like the chicken and the egg. What happened first? Diabetes or pancreatitis? <laughs> like, Well, I mean, that makes sense. Cause if you think about it, like pancreatitis is inflammation of the pancreas, right? And that's, mm-hmm. you've got exocrine function and endocrine function. And let's be real. They're right next door to each other. Sometimes a couple of cell layers difference between the two. So it makes sense that if one's affected, the other can be affected. So. 
Yeah. So feeding low, uh, low fat diets is especially recommended for diabetic dogs, but also for dogs who might be susceptible to chronic pancreatitis. So feeding low fat diets though, can help improve insulin sensitivity. So like those, because, um, and then especially help with weight loss in our, in our animals that need it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but low calorie diets are not appropriate for obviously our thin dogs. So we, we do yeah. need to be cautious in making sure that even though we can have some pretty thin dogs who are mm -hmm. diabetic, but they're going to need to eat a larger amount. Um, carnitine is another nutrient that has been proven to play a, an essential role in fatty acid metabolism specifically. So a lot of our diabetic diets actually have supplemental carnitine in it. And what that's going to do is suppress acidosis and ketogenesis during that starvation phase in dogs when they first begin developing diabetes mellitus. Right. And when we say starvation, like we've talked about this before, this is like cellular starvation um, because the dogs are still eating, but it's not being metabolized appropriately. So the cells are unable to get the glucose into them because they don't have the, the insulin, blah, 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 blah. blah right. Yeah. And so that's cellular starvation, not necessarily like gut starvation because they could be eating, but it's not working appropriately because we do not have the insulin that's appropriate. Yeah. So, so carnitine is, uh, carnitine is one of those new, those nutrients that just I've overlooked it that I'm just like, wow, I didn't like it. It makes sense that if you were just, it could just help DKAs if we could get them to eat stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> Getting them to eat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's, again, it's like nutrition is key, right? Like they always like internal medicine taught me that if you can get a dog to eat, then you could get them feeling better because they need to eat to heal. Mm. And this is just one of those things that proves it, right? It's like, you can't get carnitine anywhere else. Right. So chromium is a mineral that I'm just like, I've learned about just doing these notes. <laughs> Sounds like something <laughs> yeah. out of Superman. Um, so it's a mineral that actually has been proven to help clear glucose out of the bloodstream. Um, and it can, it's been proven to do that at a rate of about 10% in healthy dogs. So there's been studies that show supplementation can, um, may only be beneficial in pets who are deficient, right. In, mm. in chromium, um, but it's also been proven that when looked at chromium levels actually are surprisingly low in humans and animals just naturally because of the diets that we're now eating compared to what we used mm. to eat when we were before. Um, so anyways, chromium was theoretically useful in diabetes dogs before, um, but so far supplementing with chromium has not been found to improve glycemic control it seems like it really, like the studies showed a difference in healthy dogs, but not showing a difference in diabetic dogs. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, and I think if you're, if you're deficient in the diet, that makes sense. But if you're not deficient, it's not going to help you. Yeah. It's so. one of like the other side of nutrition. It's like, it's not going to hurt, but it might not help. <laughs> right. Yeah. Hopefully it doesn't hurt. There are some things in nutrition that can be hurtful if given in excess. 
Yeah. All right. So cats, the main goal for cats when treating diabetes is different than dogs, right? In dogs, we want to eliminate clinical signs and just improve their quality of life. In cats, the goal is really to try to attain remission if we can. Um, mm -hmm. And diet can play a significant role in helping yeah. to achieve that. It's much harder to att attain remission without diet. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> so protein, fat, and carbohydrates have all been studied in diabetic cats being treated with insulin. And specifically cats being treated with insulin were being fed a high protein diet, low carbohydrate diet. Um, and those have been shown to reduce insulin requirement and improve the chances of remission. So there was a study that showed a diet with 40, 46% of the calories from protein resulted in lower postprandial uh, glucose concentrations than diets with 47% of the calories from fat or carbohydrates. So protein is key here. <laughs> unlike our kidney diets. So high protein diets then have been found to more closely mimic a cat's natural diet than those that are high in carb carbohydrates. I mean, it makes, Which makes sense. sense. Yeah. You eat the whole mouse, whole bird, whatever. Yeah. There's not a lot of grain and stuff in there. Yeah. So because cats are obligate carnivores, they are less efficient than some other animals like dogs in metabolizing large amounts of carbs. So there's been several studies like when um, looking at carbs in particular in cats versus dogs, like in dogs, we can do like boiled chicken and white rice for diarrhea, right? In cats, they're actually showing that the rice is a moot point. Like you don't, it doesn't help. It doesn't hurt, but like they don't really need it. They can't really process it. So, um, hmm. they're not able to really metabolize large amounts of those carbohydrates. So, um, a lot of cat diets are actually now leaning more towards that low carbohydrate diet, but just making it them capable of being able to digest those carbs because it's not something that they normally would do. Hmm. Um, they have not done studies yet of commercial dry or canned cat foods, like studying the effects of the blood glucose concentration. But they've done studies to show that diabetic diets in particular do increase the chances of remission. Hmm. Makes sense. I mean, it makes sense to not study the diets that you assume are going to worsen. <laughs> Right. Diabetes. Well, and it's like diabetic diets aren't for everybody. Like we kind of talked about this already. Like essentially nutrition is going to be best. Like any nutrition is better than no nutrition. <laughs> yes. But if you want help in maintaining the disease or managing the disease or even putting the disease in remission, yeah, then therapeutic diets are where it's at. Um, so with cats, it is important to allow cats to just adhere to their standard feeding schedule. It, it's much more difficult to train them to feed on a feeding schedule. Most cats will eat small, frequent meals throughout the day. So having free choice food available is usually going to help avoid those hypoglycemic episodes. 
but obese cats in particular might need scheduled feeding <laughs> those scarf and barf cats yeah yeah um we talked about fiber a little bit in dogs so fiber in cats increased dietary fiber has been proven to reduce postprandial glycemic issues in humans because it helps to it helps the absorption of glucose from the intestines but in cats of course they have a different pattern <laughs> um several older studies showed that diabetic control was improved with cats on high fiber diets compared to low fiber diets but high fiber diets often um, have lower calories too which is also beneficial so mm. a, a lot of times cats are fed a high fiber diet just standardly so <laughs> yeah you gotta gotta love it um i'm gonna skip skip over the chromium again because it, it's not been looked into a ton um again helpful in healthy pets but not really substantially helpful in those non-healthy pets Versus L-carnitine, um, cats benefit from L-carnitine. It helps preserve lean body mass. So L-carnitine is more helpful in those obese cats. Then. <laughs> so yeah. um, it's going to help preserve lean body mass. So that's it's going to be most beneficial in overweight cats who are experiencing weight loss because it's going to help protect the liver function. And reduce those episodes of hepatic lipidosis that we can sometimes see in our extremely overweight kitties. Yeah. And to me, like L-carnitine, I associate that with like protein. Yeah. And so it makes sense that cats benefit from having L-carnitine added. Yeah. And I think so <clears throat> on the client communication aspect of this, Treats are always going to be a conversation that needs to come up with clients, dogs yep. and cats across the board, because treats that are high in carbohydrates obviously can affect blood sugar, right? So, and that can throw off our insulin, insulin regulation as well. Yeah. So when feeding treats in particular, I try to, fruits and vegetables are fine, light on the fruit side of things because people will still mm -hmm. like just give their dogs like handfuls of blueberries and I'm like still high in sugar carrots are also high in sugar people will just swear up and down that they give their dogs carrots with like every walk that they take throughout the day and I'm like still high in sugar um yeah. so being cautious of the the treats that we're giving a pet and maybe sticking to things like I don't know boil some chicken for the week and like that those are your pet's treats for the day uh Celery. for the week ice dogs are, ice. Do, dogs dogs like the crunchy stuff reducing the i don't want to say brand names of treats but um yeah well and i and i think i think that's where client education is so huge where we talk about okay this one cookie has this many calories in this and this is your daily total so like one small cookie could potentially be the equivalent of a giant um meal i was gonna say burger and fry meal from restaurants that are fast foodie so um in person i would say what what brand i'm talking about yeah. for both of these <laughs> but i mean you know and having those conversations that like if you think about it like percentage of your daily you know energy requirement 
that's what this like one cookie represents, right? Is like a, a meal at a fast food restaurant. And I think when you start kind of equating it to that and saying, okay, but you give like five to 10 of these a day, that's like going to a, a fast food restaurant five to 10 times, you know? And, and then, and then they start going, oh, well, that's part of the reason why my pet's overweight. Um, and I, and I usually tell clients, you know, it's not you, it's not that we want you to never give treats. It's just think about them responsibly. Right. And mm-hmm. if you're going to give like a specific cookie treat, because that's their favorite, they go crazy for, for it, like minimize how much they are. So it's like a high reward treat. Um, and make sure you're doing it consistently. So like if they get that one a day, they always get it one a day because then we're not having these big changes daily on, you know, carbs and sugars and everything. So consistency is the biggest thing. Like if you're going to give one cookie a day, give one cookie a day. And you just kind of take that into account when you were talking about total calories in a day. Yeah. Yeah. And then also we want to really avoid highly digestible diets because while highly digestible diets are just that, right? They're, they're made to be delicious. Um, so they tend to be a little bit higher in sugars. And so oftentimes a highly digestible diet can lead to glucose spikes, um, usually Mm -hmm. right after eating. And then that in turn can Samoji look a time I can say Samoji and it actually means (laughs) Samoji. Yeah, you get these huge spikes and then it's like they go super high and then the body tries to correct it. Yeah. Yeah. So same with people. I know. So yeah, try to avoid those highly digestible diets. We talked about it a little bit last week, but there are uh, companies that we try to stick to when it comes to these diabetic diets in particular being Hill's Royal Canaan and Purina. Yukonuba, I've noticed, is trying to come up on the pale end there a little bit with some of their diets, but they haven't quite, I don't, it's not a brand that I generally think of when I think of a therapeutic diet yet. Sorry, Yukonuba. <laughs> I'm sure you'll get there. <laughs> yeah. But and a ton of really good nutrition resources. We've definitely talked about it before. Um, I think you yeah. can use like some of the big websites, but like Tufts University has got some stuff. Um, Vin, um, I, I like pretty much any of the universities. So UC Davis, I think you've got some on there. Mm-hmm. Um, Merck Manual, all that fun stuff. So, yeah. Otherwise, that is just some basics of diabetic nutrition. Um, like I said, the goal is really to just help maintain. It's to assist the insulin. Um, yes. <laughs> again, yeah, and I think it's, things. It, yeah, and I think you know we just it's again it's quality of life when we're talking about nutrition, um, and making it easier for whatever function is left within the pancreas, um, to homeostasis right like it's homeostasis it's all about homeostasis i love homeostasis no i know we 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 like that i know we we do we're gonna make a t-shirt 
All right, guys, that's all I got for you this week. Uh, Happy Independence Day. Celebrate responsibly. Don't eat a bunch of really sweet sugary things and spike your insulin and glucose levels. But that's (laughs) definitely what I'm going to do. Oh, I know. Everybody does. (laughs) S'mores. Um, Okay. (laughs) Anyway, we will talk to you guys next week. Have a good week. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettechs.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.